This is Industry Matters, powered by BGM, a post-acute healthcare podcast about community, connections, and belonging. BGM is a member service organization serving durable and home medical equipment providers and manufacturers. BGM also has communities for respiratory, complex rehab, women's health mastectomy, home accessibility, therapy, and orthotics and prosthetics industry. With VGM, you're part of something bigger. In today's episode of Industry Matters, John Gallagher, VP of Government Relations, and Mark Higley, VP of Regulatory Affairs for VGM and Associates, talks with Brian Lighton, CEO of Lighton Consulting, about a recent study looking at three additional categories for building a case for Medicare and Medicaid investment. Thank you guys so much for being with us today on another episode of Industry Matters. And I have Brian Lighton, John Gallagher, and Mark Higley with me. And before we get started talking about a new study we have released, I want everybody to introduce themselves. So Brian, why don't you go ahead and start? I'd be happy to. My name is Brian Lighton. I am a healthcare consultant and I run a group called Lighton Consulting. I've been working with VGM for the past decade, developing analysis and reports on Medicare spending. Great. Thank you. How about you, John? Hi, I'm John Gallagher. I'm Vice President of Government Relations. I'm on the legislative and uh, grassroots side, uh, where Mark is on the regulatory side. Uh, And I've been with VGM since 2002. Perfect. And Mark? Oh, thank you, Mandy. Uh, Mark Higley. I've been with VGM since 1998, and the majority of that time, I've spent in a position of Vice President of Regulatory Affairs. And as John and uh, Brian know, I've been following the competitive bid program since its onset, and I'm just so pleased of the, of the uh, working relationship we've had with Brian to develop these reports. So thank you again. Absolutely. And a lot of industry knowledge we have on this podcast today, which is why it's so valuable. And thank you again for for being with us. So, Mark, I want you to start and give us a little bit of background about the competitive bidding program since you've been there since with the beginning of it. Um, The results, you know, the decrease we've seen in reimbursements and then moving the whole way to the delay that we've seen over the past few years. Right. As most of the uh, attendees know, the competitive bidding program has gone through a series of rounds. It began with some glitches. There was certain delays, but effectively um, through a series of rounds, 130 major metropolitan areas, which is about half of the Medicare beneficiary population, was affected by the program. And uh, we've seen reductions each round in reimbursements that began in the 20s, went into the 30s, then into the 40s. And then we we reached a critical point where the reimbursements were so low using arguably methods for this Medicare auction, as they dub it, that were not appropriate. We then um, thankfully contacted um, uh, Brian and began having an analysis of what these lower reimbursement rates would effectively do to the chronic conditions that the Medicare beneficiaries are treated um, through through the supplier provider communities uh, that VGM represents. And uh, hopefully uh, the listeners know that there's been previous reports, which I'll let Brian summarize. Um, The reason for this most current report, which is uh, uh, titled the expanded case for Medicare investment 
in DME in 2022 is a result of a delay in the last competitive bidding program. While the VGM government relations team expected another round of competitive bidding with improvements due to some changes in those auction principles that I mentioned, it never came to fruition. The CMS agency uh, was under the opinion that because the reimbursements were effectively overall higher that quote, savings, unquote, could not be realized. And uh, unfortunately, we remain today with these lower reimbursement rates. Uh, so I'll, I'll lead back into uh, to Brian. The products that are offered by the community of which VGM represents are integral for savings in the overall healthcare continuum. And uh, we relied on his expertise to perhaps quantify those. Uh, and I'll, I'll take a break and hand it over to Brian for a quick summary of the previous reports and perhaps a description of the one that is forthcoming. Mark, we have, as you know, conducted studies for the last decade, and we have looked at three large bundles of durable medical equipment and used those as the benchmarks for determining whether CMS is doing a good job of spending their beneficiaries' money. Uh, we've looked at mobility equipment wheelchairs, walkers, power chairs, and the like uh, to help avoid falls. We looked at oxygen therapy equipment to counter the symptoms of COPD. And we looked at continuous positive airway pressure equipment to treat obstructive sleep apnea. And what we found over a decade of analyzing the spending data is that Medicare spends dramatically much more on treating the problems associated with these DME products than they do on providing the DME itself. And the initial studies show that there was a significant leverage for every dollar that was spent on providing DME to Medicare beneficiaries who needed it. Medicare had the potential to save dramatically more in treatment costs, multiples more. As we expanded this, or not expanded the study, but continued the study and updated it over the decade, we've done three additional updates on the study. Each time we found that those numbers increased, the leverage of Medicare spending on durable medical equipment continues to go up. They keep spending more and more on treating a larger Medicare population, and they have essentially failed to provide the proper DME to their beneficiaries at the right time. The current study that we're discussing today was an expansion of the three original categories. And we looked at three additional categories that are important to Medicare beneficiaries. We looked at durable medical equipment designed to prevent or minimize pressure sores. We estimate that over a million Medicare beneficiaries are annually diagnosed with a pressure sore of some sort, and that half of those are hospitalized at some point. In 2022, we estimate that Medicare will spend almost $12 billion on treating pressure sores, and beneficiaries will spend an additional $3.5 billion in deductibles and copays. And on top of those numbers, hospitals are involved in the spending because back in 2009, CMS decided that hospital-acquired pressure injuries should be funded by the hospitals themselves and not by Medicare. 
and we project that our hospitals are going to spend between two and a half and five billion dollars on treating hospital-acquired pressure injuries. The second one relates to urinary retention and urinary incontinence and the problems that arise from those two issues. Durable medical equipment is available to help Medicare beneficiaries deal with both those issues. Urinary retention is the inability to void voluntarily despite a full distended bladder. The retention can either be acute, i.e. it happens on the spot, or it can be chronic, something that continues over time, typically associated with spinal cord injuries, with benign prostate hypertrophy, excuse me, BPH, commonly known as an enlarged prostate and therefore more prevalent in men than than in women. Uh, If you can't void, then you need durable medical equipment to remove the urine from your system. The other half of that coin is chronic urinary incontinence. This is not a situation where you can't void. Essentially, it's the loss of urine control. Significantly, again, more prevalent in men and more prevalent in the elderly. The third category we looked at was diabetic test strips and their relationship to diabetes. Some 45 million adults in the United States have diabetes. Most of those have been diagnosed. And again, the prevalence of diabetes increases with age. So Medicare Medicare beneficiaries are two and a half times more likely to suffer with diabetes. And in the U.S. healthcare system, we estimate there'll be $250 billion spent treating diabetes in 2022. Medicare will bear the brunt of that spending, over $150 billion dollars and beneficiaries will spend another $45 billion. So those are the three areas that we decided to study this time. And a little later on in the discussion here, we'll get into the details of each of those three areas. Yeah, I'd like to add um, to the team here, the original studies with the mobility, oxygen, and CPAP therapies uh, can be downloaded at vgm.com. And the exact URL, while it's not that lengthy, I'll, I'll spell it out to you, vgm.com front slash services, front slash government dash relations, excuse me, relations, front slash resource dash center. And uh, you'll find an array of several studies and other resources at that link. And I urge all of the uh, listeners today to review those original studies. So the original studies, let me make one comment on this, and I'll, I'll, I'll hand this back to Brian, resulted in a dollar amount, a, a, an amount of savings, um, somewhat simply stated, of $1 of DME results in expected savings to the entire system of X. Now, Brian, there was a little bit of a difference in this forthcoming study, if I'm not mistaken, with regard to the urological and diabetes equipment, and I'll let you uh, continue from there. Thanks, Mark. Uh, And we'll start by talking about pressure sore prevention, because that is one that we were able to quantify in the same fashion that we had done in the earlier studies. 
Essentially, if someone develops a pressure sore, there's going to be a significant treatment spending to resolve that pressure sore if it in fact can be resolved. Spending on pressure sore prevention leverages Medicare's dollars. For every dollar that Medicare invests in pressure sore prevention, the government saves over $38 in treatment costs, another $11.50 in beneficiary costs, and over $16 in hospital costs. So if I had to add that up correctly, that's, that's over $65 in treatment spending that could be avoided by spending $1 on pressure sore prevention. And, and essentially, this passes what I refer to as the but-for test. But for the durable medical equipment, the treatment will be required. It will happen. The skin will break down, the pressure sores will form, and the treatment will be required. What Mark alluded to a moment ago is that when you look at the other two categories, that nexus, the but-for test, isn't as easy to establish. When one looks at urinary incontinence, the durable medical equipment that is available doesn't directly translate into elimination of treatment costs. Uh, those treatment costs could include behavioral therapy, surgery, medication, and the use of absorbent products. But what we are clear about is that spending on urinary incontinence prevention and urinary retention prevention where there is a little more of a direct nexus because if you can't empty your bladder, you need a catheter to empty it. It's just a simple fact. Uh, but bottom line is the spending on prevention eliminates major downstream problems uh, for beneficiaries. Again, we're not going to try and put a dollar value on that, but it's significant. And the same holds for uh, diabetic test strips. And I think the important thing to, to understand there is that diabetic test strips give Medicare beneficiaries a flexibility. They're able to maintain healthier lifestyles through data because the test strips and the meters can give them a pretty solid indication of what their blood sugar levels are and they can adjust their dietary habits and other habits to improve their lifestyle and live healthier lifestyles. So in both of those categories, while we are not able to put a direct $1 equals this amount in savings, we know that the amount spent by Medicare is so significant that prevention is an important element and will lead to savings. Urological complications will cost Medicare $25 billion this year and beneficiaries another $7.5 billion. Diabetes treatment, $154 billion spent by Medicare to treat diabetes and another $46 billion spent by beneficiaries to cover their copays and deductibles. It's an extremely large amount. I'd like to uh, get some input uh, from my colleague, John Geller. Obviously, um, the CMS agency has not been very receptive to input from VGM, you know, and other stakeholders. 
and you've been so active over the past decade and a half with regard to our elected officials. Maybe uh, could you uh, offer some comment how studies like this might um, be integral in our discussions with these officials, perhaps for future um, congressional action? Absolutely. And uh, once again, thank you, Brian, for joining us on this podcast. Uh, but more importantly, your work uh, over the years in quantifying uh, this information that is so critical to be able to take back to our elected officials. One of the problems we've had in the past is we haven't quantified uh, what is the cost factor in savings that DME provides. CMS oftentimes gets lost in the many silos they have of Medicare Part A, B, C, and D, uh, and are blind to the fact that savings in Medicare Part B uh, actually equates over to A on the hospitalization utilization. And so the use, Mark, of your point, the use of these, these studies is critical to sit down with a member of Congress and say, here, here are the numbers. And they're not our numbers. Mark's not, or Brian's not pulling numbers out of the sky. He's pulling data that is CMS data, government data, uh, industry data. He's pulling that uh, together where it's easily seen that, uh, you know, this, this is very statistically important. Uh, and then be able to sit down with a member of Congress and say, look, a dollar saved uh, or a dollar spent on DME will save you this over in the other category, oftentimes in Medicare Part A. Uh, and when you can talk along that line, then members of Congress get very excited because they're very, very concerned about the cost structure uh, with Medicare and looking at where the, the trust fund uh, is at and how many years they've got left with Medicare. Uh, so that's that's critical. And, and once again, Brian, hats off to you for pulling this data together. Do you want to talk a little bit, Brian, just for a second on kind of where you pull this data from? Sure. Uh, most of the data comes directly from CMS. They publish annually the data that, that uh, helps me determine how much in total they have spent on treatment. So that those numbers are publicly available. Sometimes a little difficult to, to dig through all of the, the information to get to the meaningful data. Uh, they also publish the amount of money that they spend by category on durable medical equipment and pretty much everything else that, uh, that they spend money on from an equipment standpoint. So that's all available. We bring all that together, consolidate it, and that's what allows us to, to make a direct comparison between preventive spending and treatment spending. Thank you. And, and from that standpoint, is being able to take that data then uh, to your elected uh, officials um, from the grassroots standpoint, sitting down with your member of Congress, and saying, hey, this is what we do as providers uh, and how we save the government money uh, in the fact that if you spend money on durable medical equipment, keeping mom in her home where, where she wants to be versus in a home uh, on the taxpayer's dime is so critical. And to be able then to expand that, to be able to say, okay, 
the thought process behind, as Mark alluded to early on in in the podcast, the competitive bid program is not working. The, the, The bid program is not working. It's not saving the government money. You're actually costing the government money, more money on Medicare A hospitalization utilization, uh, which Brian has done a great job of, of uh, identifying. So with that, my, my task to everybody listening is that they reach out to the member of Congress, utilize this data. Uh, this is once again, CMS's own numbers to be able to take that forward and saying, okay, there must be another uh, avenue to take this forward. We also have in play H.R. 6641, uh, which is a bill that has gone forward uh, in Congress, and it was put forward by Representative Mullins from Oklahoma and Representative Tonko from New York, Democrat and Republican, uh, to increase within the competitive bid areas, uh, roughly about 10%, uh, so that that can roll over to the other competitive bid areas or non-competitive bid areas, both non-rural and rural areas. We also are working with Senator uh, Senator uh, uh, Thune from South Dakota, Senator Grassley, Iowa, Danes in Montana, and others. Uh, hopefully we can draw on others uh, to extend the CARES Act, particularly the provision that deals with DME, Uh, beyond the end of the PHE or the public health emergency. And in particular, that would be the 75-25 blend for those non-rural areas. And with this information that Brian has pulled together, shows that once again, the savings that that is there, uh, particularly in rural and non-rural areas uh, on these different product mixes, but why it's so important that providers are there to provide that. Uh, and if we go ahead and end the PHE shortly, and conversations are that'll be the end of end of the year. <coughs> excuse me. Um, that at that point in time, the PHE would end, and it would end the CARES Act provision, and that seventy five twenty five blend for the non rural areas for competitive bid products categories. Our push is to utilize this data that Brian has done an excellent job of pulling together to show members of Congress that's foolhardy hardy, and that they would need to want to extend at least 12 months out, perhaps 18 months out, uh, the CARES Act provision here until CMS can actually get their act together with a qualified working competitive bid program. With that, Mark, I hand it back to you. Sure, and again, um... I'd like to emphasize again, these original studies are available and the, the current study uh, and this podcast, and uh, I'm sure Mandy will repeat this at the end, are at bgm.com front slash industry matters podcast. But John, excellent summary. I can't emphasize more the importance of utilizing your elected officials. Um, both of us have been frustrated for, for countless years about the inability for CMS, to, in, in my opinion, to, to further review such studies. And I concur wholeheartedly. It's, it's important that this goes through the, the Congress. Um, Brian, again, we, we thank you. There will likely be continued studies. I 
offer this up to our uh, listeners today in this podcast. If there are other areas or products that you would like VGM to consider for such a study, the VGM Government Relations Department is wide open to that. Mark, I have two closing points that I want to make before we finish up. Uh, The first one is just the recognition that as the competitive bidding program has progressed, if one can use that word, it's about, in my opinion, to reach its natural end. They've driven down prices using competitive bidding uh, far beyond where they should be to the point where it, it doesn't make sense when you look at the products being provided, the benefits that are being delivered from those products. So I suspect that it's going to be harder and harder for CMS. And, and we've seen this in the last two rounds, uh, which the, which the trade, has, uh, trade publications have basically said are failed rounds, that, uh, that I suspect it's going to be harder for CMS to justify continuing competitive bidding. And, and to John's point about discussing this with your members of Congress, your representatives in Congress and, and senators, I think it's important to remember that the leadership of CMS, whether it's the administrator, Chiquita Brooks Lashur, the head of Medicare, Dr. Sesmani, uh, these are people who need to be educated on a regular basis. They've joined this process very late in the game, and they have a lot of things to worry about. And they don't necessarily have time to focus on the problems that that we see and that concern us the most. So it's important when you're talking to your representatives and members of Congress, that they need to help educate the heads and and the leadership of of, uh, CMS. Because if you look down the leadership chart, you'll find that there are some uh, executives who've been there for quite a while and have a significant influence on uh, on how their their top leaders look at these issues, and they don't necessarily uh, see things the way that the data would would uh, would show them. So it's important to make sure that that uh, the message is delivered to the leadership at CMS. Yeah, excellent, excellent points. Uh, again, thank you, Brian, for. Uh, not just uh, the podcast today, but for the, the previous uh, work that you've done with us. Uh, as I noted, hopefully it will continue. And uh, John, any final comments? And perhaps we can hand this over to Mandy uh, for perhaps a repeat of where we can uh, access these um, podcasts and the actual um, uh, studies themselves. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Uh, I would direct people to utilize our VGM Government Relations website to utilize the links to their members of Congress and to utilize this data to be able to talk about the savings uh, that spending money on DME provides. Thank you, Brian. My pleasure, John. Mark, good talking to you again and uh, look forward to continuing the learning cycles as we move forward. 
Thank you guys. And as, um, as always, the links to everything will be in the show notes. So if you're on the podcast, you can scroll down, you can easily see links to each and every one of the studies. You can always go to vgmgov.com and have access to the studies there as well. Thank you all for your time and until next time. Thank you for listening to Industry Matters. Make sure you never miss an episode by visiting vgm.com slash industry matters podcast or following Industry Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Stitcher.